The following program brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by the members of CFCI and their guests should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal, and any tax advice on the show is not intended to be used by any persons for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax. Penalties that may be imposed on such persons and each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. The representatives of CFCI and their guests are not providing legal or tax advice, and nothing should be construed as a solicitation to offer or buy securities. Now enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show Your Money with David Hayes. Doug Hughes is in the house today. Hello, Doug. How are you today, David? I'm doing great. And next week, you'll be in the hot seat as you and the guys from the office will be taking the control of the show. I'm going to be out in Scottsdale, Arizona for actually the Barrett-Jackson auction, heading out there, meeting some friends, and hopefully enjoy a little sunshine while I'm out there. I have a good show today. You know, so much going on in the news, and what should you be paying attention to? What should you just completely ignore? What can you control? What can you not control? That'll be the theme of today's program. And trying to put together another podcast that will be out 2025, the final drive, coming this Monday. But it, it's a challenge because Thursday, that as we record this show, I've got a pretty busy evening tonight. And sometimes my editors and all the people that make this magic happen uh, – don't like it when I give it to them at the very last minute. They like about a week to prepare. <laughs> Let's do a little uh, review of last week and then where we are this week so far in the markets. Brought to you, of course, by Unrivaled Electric. They want to be your full-service electrical contractor. They specialize in generators like mine. It's veteran-owned. They want to be your electrician. 812-361-3604. That's Unrivaled Electric. And like Law Group, give yourself and your family the peace of mind that comes with proper estate planning. Call my friend Lance at the Like Law Group, 812-323-8300. And finally, always fun to watch the action at KennyBlandAuctions.com. Always fun stuff to bid on, buy, maybe you want to sell, but they want to be your full-service auction service. They offer the pre-planning the sale of your estate or real estate. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Visit them online at KennyBlandAuctions.com. Two weeks, two different narratives. Last week... Stocks rallied thanks to fresh confirmation of this inflation cooling thing that's going on, the trend. And then the growing optimism that if inflation slows down, that might provide the Fed with space to ease up on future rate hikes. And all the major indices were up. We also had some improving consumer sentiment as well. But there's just so much going on. And this week, Doug, we turned around and the market decided, huh, Maybe the Fed's not going to slow down. So mm-hmm. it's one, it's yin and yang. One week it goes in the direction where they say moderating, moderating inflation was evident in the CPI report released last Thursday, and in a combination with a strong labor report the previous Friday gave the market that confidence that the environment for stocks had improved. Stocks extended their gains into the end of the week as a few of the money center banks kicked off a new fresh earning season. And yes, inflation has been cooling. The trend is going down. But then, Doug, all of a sudden this week, it's like the market takes a flip and says, "Uh uh-oh, maybe the Fed won't slow down because a few Fed officials have come out and spoke. But the key here, folks, is 
we're going to get through all this, right? And usually on the other side, it's really good times. So, Doug, we've been through this many, many times before. <clears throat> yeah, it's always different, right? Mm -hmm. We've never seen interest rates rise this fast so quick. Um, you know, we haven't really seen that many Fed orchestrated soft landings, as they say. Usually it doesn't happen that way. We've seen a 10-year Treasury note dropping down below 3.5%. Uh, all of the inflation, all of the high interest stuff's in the short side of the curve, which tells us a ton, but the markets, I think just volatility, you're going to have to be used to it. You know, David, it, it, I go back to 2020 when we began hearing about COVID. Some, we had not seen anything obviously quite like that before, and here we are just a couple years later with something we just haven't seen uh, quite like this before. And it just reminds me uh, that the, the value of investing is having a purpose-driven portfolio, know what you're doing, know where you're going, because these things are just simply going to happen. And right now, everyone is an expert on the Fed. Well, people, remember when inflation came out and people started using the word transitory. Nobody even knew what the word transitory meant <laughs> until that became the hot, top, the hot topic and, and the, 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 the main theme. And now all of a sudden, here we are uh, about a year later, and now it's not the word transitory anymore. Now it's what are they going to do? Are they going to pause? Pause is the big catchword today. Is there going to be a pause? They're going to tighten. What, what are we going to do? And the truth is, for all of our listeners, we're all just investors into a great big market with all kinds of different moving uh, uh, things that happen that we can control, can't control. Purpose-driven investing is where the individual investor and their families need to be. And this is just another example of a, a, a seesaw, right? Last week, the markets rallied huge. This week, we had a really difficult market, all because of a few Fed people who say something about what the Fed is going to do. It's a whipsaw, but when you have a purpose-driven portfolio, you can maintain and know to have confidence where you're going. Keep saving, keep investing, keep doing what yes. you're doing. I think most people understand that should be the motto. All right, so in the news, right, this debt ceiling discussion is once again in the news. Will the U.S. raise it again? Yes, they will. Let's give you a little history lesson on why this is even a thing. We'll be right back. It's Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. Your Money with David Hayes, of course, sitting $31 trillion in debt. The U.S. is needing to raise the debt ceiling to simply pay the things that we used and consumed over the last 50 years. <laughs> it's like paying <laughs> for that steak that you had 10 years ago, right? Something you don't want to do, but we're in this, in this mess, so we have to deal with it. I mean, the very phrase debt ceiling sounds like kind of a restrictive term, like it's putting a lid on government spending. But if you actually go back and study this, in fact, the U.S. federal debt limit was first conceived more than 100 years ago to make it easier, actually not harder, but easier for the government to borrow money. But it morphed into this explosive political tool with the potential to just wreck financial markets. Since its failure to raise the debt ceiling could eventually result, as Janet Yellen and others are now saying, in the first ever default of some of the U.S. government debt. That ain't going to happen, folks. But you can hear the rhetoric all you want. This thing goes all the way back to 1917. It was actually cleared by the finance people uh, to help fund World War I by grouping bonds into different categories. It kind of eased the burden on Congress to have to approve each bond separately. 
And then we had World War II looming in 39. Congress created the first aggregate debt limit that gave the Treasury Department more wide latitude on what bonds to issue, and that raised the ceiling uh, again. Raising the ceiling lets the government, and this is where we're at, this is where we're at today, is where we've been in the past. Raising the debt ceiling lets the government borrow to cover the gap between spending and taxes, which, by the way, Congress has already approved. So when you approve a trillion-dollar deficit in a budget, that just tells you right there we're going to have to borrow a trillion bucks just based on what we said we're going to spend money on, not the things that come up along the way, which we've all seen that happen the last few years, right? The limit was routinely raised without any problem, really, until 1953. That year, approval was upheld in the Senate in an attempt to restrain President Eisenhower, who had requested an increase to enable construction on our highway system. Now, that's a good thing, right? I'm certainly happy to be on that highway, and probably am glad they raised the debt ceiling to get that ball rolling. But the limit has been raised dozens and dozens of times, usually without a fight. But in the past quarter century, it's been like weaponry, right? Raising the debt ceiling was among the disputes that caused two shutdowns. I remember these well in 1995 and then again early 1996. Another fight occurred in 2011 that prompted the S&P uh, to issue its first ever downgrade to the U.S. government credit rating. And that wasn't even, and no one cared, right? They lowered it, but you know what happened? Rates went down even more. We had a second debt ceiling face-off back in 13 as part of the effort for the GOP to undo the Affordable Health Care Act. Well, that didn't work. It resulted in the cap being suspended for the first time as well. So here we set 31.4 trillion ish in debt, and that is being reached pretty much right now or within the next month or two. And of course, we hear about the extraordinary measures that we can use to keep the government open. The debt limit currently uh, has been hit or pretty close to hit, but most most parties, both parties, acknowledge that the debt ceiling must be raised because the gap between the government spending and revenue is so stinking large. The, the Republicans who are set to, who, who took control of the House of Representatives back on January 3rd, they want to pair uh, the limit hike with spending cuts, of course, including, and we're going to get to this in a minute, including potentially the Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Now, some would say, why do we even have this debt ceiling if we raise it every time anyway? Well, I mean, I would argue that it gives people a chance to talk about economic uncertainty, to talk about bargaining for spending cuts that really serve in the public's best interest. But at this point, I can tell you that I don't think we're going to be minting platinum coins and placing them into the Federal Reserve or declaring the debt ceiling limit violation of the 14th Amendment prohibition, questioning federal debt totally. That was back during the Obama administration, if you remember that. Do you remember that, Doug? They were going to mint coins and do yeah. all this to avoid that. Absolutely. But here we sit today. We've been here before. I, the only thing I can say, folks, is that at some point, everything has to be on the table. And like I've said before, this is all like whack-a-mole. When it comes up, it gets whacked down. When it comes up, it gets whacked down. But when they start talking again about Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, when we throw an interest on our debt, that pretty much swallows up the majority of all of our, re our revenue anyway. So we're borrowing to fund everything else. And when I say everything, remember that is everything. That's all of Congress, right? That is all of the armed forces. That's everything. Every EPA, Department of Labor, everything that funds everything. So when you're spending so much of your revenue on just four things, 
something has to give. And as we've said many times in the show, what has to give? Well, you're either going to have to raise more revenue, spend less, or a combination of both. And we found during this time period that the idea of inflating your way out of the problem, which was always a common thing floated around to say, hey, if you have 4% inflation, the debt will be like half in 28 years. Well, yeah, but guess what? There's a lot of things in our social programs that are tied to inflation. How many of you just received an 8-point-whatever, 9% increase in your Social Security each month, right? How much did your Medicare premiums just go up? And that's just your portion of it, which, by the way, Medicare Part B, most of us pay about 25% of the actual cost. So here's where the problem lies. And I'm just telling people, listen, what can you do in your world to just be out of the crosshairs? Let everyone else deal with it. Let you do your part now. Right? And that's when I want to talk about Social Security, because when everyone gets up in arms about reforming Social Security, I'm going to tell you this. Don't worry about it. It's an easy fix. I think this Congress is actually serious about maybe dealing with it, and I have some pretty good insight on what I believe is going to happen. But understanding the history of Social Security and how few times it's ever been touched might give you a little bit of perspective on where we're probably likely to go. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back, get dug in on the discussion on the granddaddy of them all for people in retirement. Of course, that is Social Security. We'll be back at Your Money with David Hayes. Doug, I think on the surface, when someone says, okay, yeah, we have to raise the debt ceiling to pay our, our payments. It's, it's literally like you and I, let's say we have a $30,000 limit on a credit card and we have hit the limit mm-hmm. and we go to swipe at the gas station and it says, no moss, no more, Nom, no moss, I'm <laughs> over. And we simply call our credit card company and say, hey, um, I need you to raise my limit from 30000 to 35000 so I'll have the money to pay my mortgage payment, my car payment, pay you, the credit card company, and all the other things that I've got going on. And do you think they're going to say, oh, sure, Doug, no problem. And then you go back again the next year and say, I need 42, and then I need 60, and now I need 100. That's just, I think people practically can't get their head around or hands around what we're really up against here. Well, and it's because it, we, we, we don't recognize it necessarily in our wallet, even though it's happening in our wallet every year. Um, we just think it's coming in inflation or, my goodness, the cost of this went up or that went up. We don't really recognize what is going on as we spiral further and further into this debt hole um, and raising debt ceilings. And what does that mean and who verifies it and what is, what's backing all this up? And so, yes, it is a point of concern. It's something to be thinking about. Now, should we be paranoid about it? That's another discussion. But the reality is you and I can't do that. Why can everyone else? <laughs> Why can every, everyone else? Yeah. yeah. Well, and when you start hearing about uh, social programs like Social Security, Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicaid, Medi- all that being uh, potentially affected with cuts, um, I can tell you this, guys, that back in 1936, that's when the U.S. sort of rolled out the whole idea of Social Security in your old age. And you were eligible at 65. Most people never made it that far. And away it went. Well, over the years, you know, Social Security had its issues. I mean, I love the part in the pamphlet they used to describe this to the American people, and they said, hey, here's how you're going to pay for it. During the next three years, beginning January 1, you will pay one cent for every dollar you earn, and at the same time, your employer will pay one cent for every dollar you earn, 
up to $3,000, and that's it. And, of course, they claim that's the most you'll ever pay. And I make fun of that every time I get in front of people and talk about this topic because, no, I mean, it does change. It changes a lot. But really, Doug, until from that point, it took all the way until 1983 when, when Ronald Reagan was in office to deal with a really serious problem we had at hand, and that was we were blowing much more money out to participants than we were receiving in tax revenues. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Social Security, and I've said this over and over and over, it is the most, arguably, but I don't even know that it's arguable, the most important program in this country. It's so embedded in our system with the majority of workers relying on this program for at least half of their income. And I will tell you this, if you're a married couple and you've had a decent income during your life, you'll be shocked at how much income that you'll be getting from Social Security, not just now, but into the future, and how much weight that takes off everything else that you've got going on in your world. So we've been here before. Back in 83, the Reagan administration addressed the annual deficits with the Social Security program by passing this bipartisan piece of legislation, the Social Security Amendments of 1983. It tackled the program's problems from both sides of the, of the aisle. Probably most known is when they, they had the creation of taxation of Social Security. Up to that point, Social Security was not taxed. But at this point in 83, they're like, hey, we're going to start taxing Social Security. So up to 50% of your benefit was subject to tax. And oh, by the way, if you were married filing a joint return, if your income was over 32000 then you would pay tax on your Social Security. We are now in the year 2023. Do you know that almost everything in our tax code is indexed with inflation? But not this guy. It's still 32000 for up to 50% of your benefit to be taxable. It also, in 83, was the year where they said, you know what, we are going to start gradually increasing the retirement age. And we're going to cap it at 67, and that's going to be by the year 2022. And that's for people born in the year 1960 or later, okay? So they were like 23. That was the oldest person, 23, right? So most people weren't even voting or really even cared at the time. But the bottom line is it took a real crisis for the government, for Congress to jump in and do anything about it. And it wouldn't be until the 90s where we finally had another little reform during the Clinton administration. So, Doug, it started in 1936, the first meaningful reform, 1983. They put delay credits in by at that point, too. I have a whole big spiel about this. And then again in 19. 93, that's when they extended the tax benefits or the taxation of benefits from 50% to 85%. And they added in the $44,000 limit. So now, after you made $44,000 as a married filing joint couple, up to 85% of your benefits taxable. Guess what? Once again, that's never changed. It's still the same limits it was in 83 and in 93. The other thing to, be, to, to note, and this is more of a state thing, Thankfully, in Indiana, we seem to be pretty healthy, right? They keep sending you extra checks, so mm -hmm. I guess they're okay. But there are no tax at the state level, at least in Indiana. And there's actually 30 states that have no tax at all on Social Security. Seven states tax all or part of Social Security benefits, which I was kind of surprised which states those were. I mean, Connecticut, meh. Colorado, yeah. But I kind of was like, Montana? That's kind of a weird one. Missouri, meh. 
Nebraska, Utah, they just didn't seem like states that would tax Social Security. I don't know why. I just didn't think they would. And then we have six states that follow the federal taxation of Social Security. And then, of course, we have states with no income tax, Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. So, Doug, I guess my point to people is, yes, it's going to have to be reformed. What's going to have to happen? Well, they're going to raise the taxable wage base. You know, right now, once you hit a certain level of income, you don't pay into Social Security anymore. They're going to raise that to probably 250 and, and that'll solve a lot of these problems. They'll probably raise some ages. We're seeing this with the minimum distribution rules, right? 73, 75. So why not raise the age that you can take Social Security to maybe 70? So my son's 22, kind of falls in the same crosshairs of this people born after 1960 in 1983. And they said, you know what? You will have to take yours at 67. I can tell you right now, if Will Hayes thought he was taking Social Security at 70, he, he would be so upset. <laughs> There's no way, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the chief, Daniel, yeah. your son. 18. I mean, yeah. who, who cares, right? right? Right. The past tells us that they don't do anything until we have an imminent crisis in front of us. Exactly. Two, they'd make the changes. don't affect anybody that are voting or anybody that's taking the benefits now. Now, it will affect the working people who have higher incomes where you're, you will pay more in, in uh, taxation for Social Security. But listen, if you want it to be there for you, and you want it to be uh, there in perpetuity, then we've got to make some changes. And the sooner you make the changes, the better off you are. And here I'm just telling folks, listen, don't panic about it. They're going to get the debt ceiling raised. They're not going to hammer your Social Security. They might hammer your grandson or your your son, if you're in my case. Uh, So don't worry about it. And I think history has a great way of telling us some lessons of how things are handled. Absolutely. And David... We, we can never underestimate the, the political impact of this. And do we have a leader strong enough or a Congress or a Senate strong enough to make these decisions without being, you know, voted out? And so one of the things that's going to have to come up is, to your point, it's going to have to come to a point of imminent crisis before there's major activity or action in this because the political the political landscape is really where this thing falls down. And I think that there is an awareness among people today that's going to look at, at, at presidential Congress or congressional or senatorial candidates and say, what is your real plan? What What is the plan of the party that you represent to deal with Social Security? Because as as good as it's been, people want the same thing going forward, some kind of a safety net, some kind of a knowledge that we're going to have an we're going to have well, an income stream that's coming if in. If you paid in all your working life, even though it's a pay-as-you-go system, you feel a little bit entitled to the absolute benefit. Yeah, and yeah. could they means test it? Sure. I mean, could they say to Warren and, and Bill and all the, the billionaires that we hear about? But that's just a that's just a I mean, that's such a small amount of people. And those people will give money away to charities and avoid it and things like that. Will it's, they it, raise taxation to 100 percent for somebody? Maybe. Are they going to ta- raise the taxable wage base? Probably. Are they going to increase the age? Yeah, it's going to be a combination of all these things that are going to solve this problem. Absolutely. And they don't have to solve it for the next 100 years, but it'd be nice if they solved it past the year 2032. Exactly. Which is where this administration is saying at that moment, 77 cents of every dollar that we say you're going to get, you'll get. Yeah. And we are 10 years away from, actually nine years away from that now. And people should be prepared, David, as they're doing income plans to recognize that's a 23% loss of income. And it could be real. And I mean, I'm not saying. Real. I mean, I yeah. certainly know there's people listening that believe that that is a strong, strong possibility. I personally don't think it is. Doug, you and I, here we are, are starting 2023. And I'll tell you, the office has been hopping. I mean, it has been hopping. Nonstop. Nonstop. <laughs> 
people coming in, people wanting to plan. I mean, I know we have an aging population, mm -hmm. a lot of people retiring out, but I thought I would just take a minute and talk with you about what are people talking about when they're coming in? Mm -hmm. What are some ideal things that they're trying to accomplish? What are they wanting out of us? Right. And then what are some potential outcomes that people could expect? Absolutely. And I think if we frame this up, it might give some people out there that are trying to figure out which way to head, what to think, what to do, maybe a little bit of guidance. We'll be right back. It's your money with David Hayes. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. How are you doing? I know it's almost too late in the year to say Happy New Year to you, but if you're joining us for the first time this year, I'll say it. Happy New Year. I don't know when you stop saying that, but I'm usually a week or two in, and that's about it for me. Or if I haven't seen someone, right, in the new year, maybe you say it. But some people I don't see but once or twice a year. I'm not going to say Happy New Year <laughs> around July 4th. I'm going to say Happy 4th of July. So anyway, that's just my little pet peeve about Happy New Year. Doug Hughes is in the studio, and Doug, you will be taking the reins next week. I know you had lunch with the guys today, and maybe you've talked a little bit about what your topic's going to be. Have you kicked around some ideas for uh, for next week's show? Well, you know, our cast of characters can bring about a lot of subjects, but I think we're going to talk about uh, some pensions. We're going to talk about some employees from the state and different things like that. Maybe some pension election conversation, because people do have to make those decisions, so we're probably going to do a section on pension elections. I would probably even throw in, because we've talked about it here, on the program is creating your own pension. If you yes. aren't fortunate enough to have a pension, how do you create that same yes. piece of guaranteed lifetime income in conjunction with Social Security and what that typically provides for you mm -hmm. um, in a lot of different ways? Well, that'll be great. I'll be in Scottsdale. Um, I'll be available if you need me to call in and say hello, but I certainly know if you have three guys in and you may even throw Josh in to talk yeah. about some uh, Medicare stuff, yeah. you won't have time for me, which I'm completely cool with that. All right, so... What are people doing right now? Changing jobs. People are coming in concerned about, can they retire, right? Can I, do I have the money to do it within the next few years? I'm worried about long-term care. I can't tell you how many folks are dealing with their parents, their spouses, when it comes to this catastrophic event, which is long-term care. Not just is it a financial drain, but more importantly, it's a complete emotional drain. What, are, what support can we give those folks? Because those people, a lot of them feel like, they're on an island. They feel alone. But one of the things that we have experienced both personally and professionally is dealing with our aging parents, dealing with other folks who are dealing with spouses, maybe one's the caregiver, and just resources available to them. Folks that suddenly find themselves single. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have had more people pass away in our client database this year than I can ever remember. Yeah. And it could be divorce. It could be death. People that come into large sums of money. Like we have a lot of folks. This is, you know, they talked about the great transfer of wealth. It's happening. It's happening now. Yeah. And it didn't happen, obviously, with the other generation because they had pensions. They mm -hmm. had Social Security. They didn't have big IRAs. But now it's happening. And we're seeing it all of the time. Sale of a business. Uh, people that just happen to get a big deferred comp payout. Whatever it might be. And then also people are actually looking to, um, you know, to, to what kind of insurances do I need? Think, I mean, so we're looking, I guess, at the end of the day for a holistic plan, something that's comprehensive that incorporates Social Security, Medicare, extended care, legacy planning, tax-efficient income and retirement, just creative solutions to uh, own 
and get rid of some of these tax-heavy retirement accounts or how to do the different things that affect our lives during uncertainty. People are f still afraid about living their money, although we've talked about that at breakfast this morning, that it's been our witness that, yeah, people do spend more in the early years of retirement, so they have that go-go, slow-go, no-go, but, but people will adjust um, based on what they have and what they're worried about. I ran into an old friend this past weekend at a, at a surprise birthday party, been retired for a long, long time. And, you know, he said, you know, I'm just kind of to the point where I'm, I've, I've just, I know I'm going to run out of money. Hmm. And um, he lives out of town, and I had, don't see him ever, honestly. And we were talking a little bit about that. And he said, you know, but I'm, I'm okay with that. He said, I don't really have any desires. I don't really need to go anywhere. I'm, I'm good with it. And he has a decent Social Security. But those are the kind of things that, that people are saying. It's what they're doing. And then, of course, the outcomes that they're hoping to get, obviously, peace of mind, right, to watch that, what that future looks like. Maybe they're looking for that truly written retirement income plan mm -hmm. that you talk so often about mm -hmm. and really trying to address all of the risk in retirement. You're not going to be able to cover them all likely, but addressing all the major risk in retirement, fix problems that, you know, that maybe mistakes you made in the past you didn't even know you made. Uh, people are looking for an ongoing relationship. I mean, one of the things about the boomers that I've noticed, I and mean, you and I are more boomer mindset, but they appreciate people that know stuff mm -hmm. and appreciate people that they feel can guide them down a path of certainty. And then also you always want to, people are always looking to maintain good liquidity. No one ever likes to lock their money up, right, you know, right. and somewhere they can't get it back out. There's a mindset about There's that. There's a mindset about that. But Doug, I mean, you, you've been this, you've been in this business a long time helping people. Mm -hmm. um, any comments about some of the things I brought up? Well, you know, I think coming out of a year like 2022 where, um, your stock investors ha don't like it, but they've experienced it. And there's always that fear of, will it ever come back? That's that's one thing for your stock investors. But I think coming out of 2022, some of the things that we've been covering in the first part of this year um, and at the end of last year was, what about your fixed income investors who, who looked at the bond side of their portfolio and had double-digit negative returns, potentially. When they thought that was conservative, And right? they thought that was conservative. And I remember reading a book years ago called Low Risk Investing, and the idea was that everyone thinks that bonds are safe. Well, like all asset classes, you, you kind of know what bonds are going to act like and look like until they don't. And so we've been having conversations with people about, okay, fixed income is down. What does that mean going forward? And a reminder of goes back to what do you own? What is the quality? Does it have maturity dates? Is it pooled? Is it individual? And those things. And I think, you know, being able to, to be able to describe to people what to expect out of what they own or, or how this can work out with what they own, that's been something I think on the fixed income side that we haven't had to talk we about before for a long, long time. And um, that's been kind of a, a big uh, conversation this particular oh, eight year. eight was the time that I remember that's the last time we had to worry about bond values, but that was a credit crisis, right? Right, right. This is truly a manufactured downturn in bonds created right. by the Federal Reserve. But back in 2008 and 2009, we were worried about defaults. Are right. people, are companies even going to make it? This has been an interest rate hike issue, which is a little bit different than... But you do bring up a good point. If you think about fixed income, uh, 2008, and now here we are, 2022, there's only 14 years apart that we've had these two major difficulties in certain sectors of fixed income. This last one has been broad-based. The earlier one was a lot of high-yield bonds and things like that. So it does, does, 
does bring back to people the reality that markets are efficient. And some years things are up, some years things are down. If everything is up at the same time, though, we saw this in 07, gold, real estate, markets of stocks, markets of bonds, everything was up at the same time. Look what can happen. Um, and so we have seen these these kind of um, uh, volatilities before. But I think that's something that people have kind of wanted to know about is I understand a little bit about stocks, but what about my bonds? You know, and I'm, the old chart that you love so much, the asset yeah. chart where it shows from 1980 through last year, what was the top performing asset class? What was the bottom performing year by year? And it's really interesting to look how widely they they fluctuate over the years. But when you look at uh, this this past year, uh, 21 and 22, uh, master limited partnerships were the top performing asset class, uh, followed by, uh, let's see, last year, commodities. And then, and then next was high-yield bonds, believe it or not, at a negative 11.2. Mm. And then you move down into, um, oh, U.S. US uh, investment-grade bonds, negative 13. I mean, you just keep going down the list. But when you go back and look, how many times were MLPs the top-performing asset class? Well, like four times in, in all these years. Right. So you do have to be diversified. you got to be smart, right? I mean, who— Anyway, I'm not going to keep preaching everyone about what you needed, what you should have done. Like Doug said, it's more important, like where you go from here. Doug, I know there's been a ton, a ton on this new Secure Act 2 that came out. We did a, a podcast on it. I did a lot on the program about it when it first came out a little more uh, last week. But uh, we had a great program this week, a great educational event with our good friend Ed Slot and his group. I'm just kind of going through some of these secure to effective dates because when you start hearing about all these changes, you're like, oh my gosh, like, when is that? Why is that? Well, it's kind of goofy how they've laid this thing out, starting in 2023, of course. I just want to kind of go through some of that to give people some assurance that, yes, a lot is changing, but not a lot has changed, if that makes any sense. We're going to take a quick one. Come back. It's your money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. If you miss any of the program on Thursday night, which many of you do, you can catch it on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., always on WGCORadio.com and where you get your favorite podcast as well, as it usually gets up right after the Thursday night airing, so you can listen at your leisure. And I am going to try and get another podcast out, 2025, The Final Drive, What You Need to Know to Win. Struggling a little bit with content this week. Um, you know, I don't want to stretch for content. I want it to be good, meaningful stuff. And I think up to this point, 42 episodes in, I was reviewing some of the outlines. I think we've done that so far. But I was talking to Marty James, the CPA up in Mooresville, who's been uh, on the show here, also a three-time podcast guest as well, and always a major contributor to the Ed Slot, Slot Report. Uh, he's got another article coming out in it very, very soon. He calls me and says, hey, um, I was listening to the podcast this week about you front-loading your 401k plans. He said, if you're in a safe harbor plan, would you be potentially giving up some of your match if it's given throughout the year? And I said, potentially, but the plans that I specifically knew about uh, would not do that. They would give you your, your match as you put it in. So I'm just going to say to you, if you're in a plan where you're worried that if you front-loaded your contributions here in 2023 and you were done by March or April, 
you might want to check with your HR to say, how does the match work for me? Because it isn't the same for everybody. So I told Marty I'd clear that up this week on the program. And uh, I know some of you have acted on that information I gave you last week, and I think that you will not be uh, sad that you did. All right. So the Secure Act II, of course, passed right around Christmas time, signed right at the end of the year. And we had all these different changes, right? Some were effective in 2023. Some were effective in, effective in 2024. Some things in 2025. Some things in 2026, 27, and finally effective in 2033. Now, I have, I have reasons for all this stuff. Like, I have tried to figure out why are they waiting for this? Why are they waiting for that? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Well, one of the podcasts I did on why age 75, you've got to listen to it because the math clearly lines up to be a big-time money grab after the year uh, 2020 or 2033. And then we have our money grab now, right, which is moving your uh, the catch-ups on your uh, 401ks and things to Roth and, you know, making it eligible for an employer to put money into the Roth for you, so all these different things. But the one thing I wanted to talk about, Doug, with you, that which we have not talked about at all, effective in 2023 something called a Qualified Lifetime Annuity Contract, a QLAC, if you've heard that, changes. It used to be that you could not put more than 25% of your total retirement accounts into a QLAC. Well, that has been eliminated, and they've increased how much you can put in from $100,000 to $200,000. Well, you might be thinking, what's a QLAC? Well, a QLAC is basically a place you can stick some money, and at a later age, like say 80, you could then turn on a guaranteed lifetime income and that money is taken out of the calculation for required minimum distributions. And Doug, we have not used these at all at our office. And I think maybe one of the reasons is the limit was 100,000. It mm-hmm. wasn't really that you know meaningful. Um, there were some restrictions on how the money's invested, but I'm thinking that, you know, when you move it to 200000 and you no longer have a 25% limit, and that could potentially be, you know, all of your retirement or half of your retirement, I'm thinking the QLAX, they made a change here that might make it make sense, more sense to uh, to consider. Have you, I mean, have, you and I haven't talked about this. Yeah, so, well, I think obviously the, the, uh, the amount allowed to be invested makes a big difference. Um, there's only so far you're going to go with a hundred thousand uh, dollars, but but with two hundred thousand, it makes it a, a bigger piece of someone's income stream, and I think that the opportunity is just going to continue to expand there. So, yeah, I think it's something that people should be aware of. Again, when we go back to retirement income, let just take a step back and talk about retirement income. What do people want? They want protected income, but they also want tax efficient income, and this seems to be a way that people can improve the tax efficiency of the overall income from the portfolio. So listen for more about that to come. I might use that as a topic for an upcoming podcast because it does have a tax you know, slant to it as well. So effective 2024, so by the way, there's a bunch of things in 2023. Oh, one thing, you know, we talk about the age rule of 55, and that is if you terminate service in the year you're 55 or after, you can access 401ks, 403bs with no penalty. You still pay the tax. There's always been this age 50 exception to it. It kind of came out, I believe, around 9-11 is when it was introduced, where private sector, firefighters, state and local government correction workers uh, could access their retirement at age 50 or after. Well, they've now added a different leg to that. Now it's available for people under 50 
with at least 25 years of service. So, and then that's high, you know possible. You start at 20 years old, right? You were 45. You terminate service. Uh, boy, you can get to your retirement account now with no penalty. Don't forget, if you rolled into an IRA, which many people do, you waive and give up those exceptions, the 55 and age 50. In 2024, IRA catch-up contributions will be indexed for inflation. Uh, the qualified charitable distributions that you give from your IRA will also increase with inflation. Going back to my comment earlier, how so many things in our code have always been indexed with inflation, and, but then some things aren't. It makes it very, very confusing. In 2025, that's the year where you can put higher catch-up limits for ages 60 to 63 for retirement plans. So once you get to 60 and 63, remember now it's 50, you can even put more money in. Okay, that's all going to go into the Roth, by the way. All kinds of stuff. 2026, there's rules. 2027, uh, this is, I don't even understand this, but this is something about, about a savers match. I don't know why we're waiting until 2027. And then, yes, finally, year 2033, the required minimum distribution age is raised to 75. And if the peak of the baby boom generation was born circa 61, do the math on that, folks. Massive money grab. So many other things we can talk about when it comes to this Cure Act tube. I just want you to know that each and every time we uncover something I think might be meaningful to you, I'll bring it up. But it's complicated, complicated, complicated. So if you want any information about any of this, please don't hesitate to reach out to cfci.us. Give us a few days. We will get back to you with the answers you need. Let's take a quick break, Duggar. Come back and wrap up this program. It's Your Money with David Hayes. So next week's program, Doug Hughes, who's been in the studio with me, will be the host along with the other cast of characters over at Conference Financial. I don't know if we'll have a hot rod appearance or not. Kind of probably depends on what's happening in the markets at the time. Uh, but it sounds like we're going to talk about, you know, the people with pensions and how to make mm -hmm. proper elections when it comes to your pension. Because many of those are irreversible. If you make this election, many times you cannot go back and change your mind. I would say most times. And then how do you create your own pension? I kind of threw that one out to them as well, if that's something that you're interested in doing. Doug, anything else you want to add before we call it a wrap on the big program? Well, I just was going to say that, um, you know, as, as people listen to the headlines and people are spooked and markets seem to be moving by headlines all the time right now, I just want to go back to what I said at the very beginning. Sometimes it's good just to call your advisor, whoever he or she may be, and go through a review of your overall plan. And just talk about what the plan looks like, not just what your statements look like. Good advice. And I know that many of you don't have an advisor, and I understand that. That seems to be something that's triggered by different events. You've changed jobs, or maybe now your kids are raised and you want to really focus on retirement. But honestly, I mean, everyone needs a little bit of advice occasionally. So please use us as a sounding board. And, I mean, we're there to help, not just you, but the entire community. And I mean that by my heart. Duggar, have a great show next week. We will. And I'll see you back here in two. In two. All right, let's take a long break. Everyone have a great weekend. Bye-bye. The preceding program was brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities.